Welcome to Two Peed Kairos with Christian Flutter and Mike Marinas. Hello and welcome to the podcast. We are here. We have arrived at a milestone, which is quite something for a chiropractic pediatric podcast. We're all about milestones. <laughs> Me and my good mate, Pikachu. Um, <laughs> and you really, I think we need to do a little clip of that because for Christian, it is very early in the morning. And for me, it's relatively into the evening. And we have decided that now is the time to talk about neurology, gut microbiome, gut brain access, or just it's time to just invest ourselves heavily. How are you, Pikachu? Ah, oh, Mike, I am Pika, Pika. I, I'm great. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's six thirty in the morning. Um, I'm I'm half a coffee down. It's it's I've got a Pikachu. Uh, what do you call these things? Beanie type of things yeah. on. Uh, you know what? There's there's no better time to be discussing complex neurobehavioral disorder stuff and and microbiome. I, I'm really looking forward to today's episode. I think it's going to be wonderful. And I think the easiest place to start is actually recently you published, uh, not published, you posted a paper mm. um, on the PIDS network. It was the yep. Corpella 2021 paper. Mm-hmm. And um, that was looking at our birth method and the impact of that on our gut microbiome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's the thing that really sticks out in a paper like that is that the, it's, there's such a difference in your mode of de- in your mode of delivery, as to what kind of microbiome you're going to start with, and the big issue here is that the way the microbiome grows is in a stepwise fashion. So it very much has to do with what you start with, as to how the rest of that is going to start making its way through. And there are a lot of other factors we'll talk about that kind of build and assist, or maybe don't assist in you getting your microbiome to be at that place where it starts to inform your immune system, the proper ways of being able to work. And then, you know, it's, it starts to get really involved with you and it becomes the mediator of health. We know it is in the gut brain axis, oh. but it's, it's all about how you start. And one of the most interesting things is if you look at um, a vaginal birth, there's up to about 74% of the species are the, are the same between mom and baby. If you start looking mm. at a Caesar birth, you're down to about 40% of the species are the same. And what they start talking about is that the species that start to, of, 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 of microbes that start to infiltrate the gut in your Caesar babies are very much the same as the kind of species you find in hospitals anyway. They're the same kind of species you find on the staff walking around the hospital. And they're very much the same kind of species you find on the feeding equipment that is in the hospital. And the problem with that is that you start to get bugs that happily live in a hospital environment. And those are not the friendliest guys. Those are, those are the mobsters. And you start to get the mobsters invading and then the mobsters start taking over and your small little microbiome town starts off like Las Vegas instead of starting off like a little quiet town in the Midlands somewhere that's going to grow into a nice wholesome valley. I was wondering which city you were going to pick on as the wholesome valley. Uh, and I was wondering if you're going to use an American reference there. That was, that was yeah, very curious as to where this was going to go. Yeah, it's, it's, wherever the Midlands is, that's where I went. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that, that, I'm assuming that was a nice, happy, comfortable place full of happy, healthy gut microbiome people. Not so many mobsters. Gram negative Not so many mobsters. mobsters. That's yeah, no, that's a great way of describing them. Gram negative mobsters. Yeah. You know, you know where that yeah. comes from. That comes from it's an analogy that I make in one of the courses that I'm doing. Is that your oh, oh, plug time? Plug time. Here we go. Yeah, yep. your 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 makeup, your genetics make you, uh, your genetics and the environment and the things that you do make you either more susceptible or a better host for some bugs and a worse host for mm-hmm. other bugs. So. By your environmental choices and the things that your body goes through, you become either like the nice four by four Subaru that everyone would like to go and travel around in, or you can become the low slung, uh, blacked out windows, um, (laughs) boot that can fit two bodies uh, type of vehicle. And it's it's not like rocket science, who's going to drive those different vehicles. And the thing is, it's almost to switch our minds around to go, 
it's the it's the microbiome it's the bugs that drive us yeah. they are the programmers yeah. they are the ones that are at the wheel and this is what we've learned so much about with this gut brain axis yeah that's it that's it look it's, it's such a it's such a fun thing to think about and you know having I'm a, I am an owner of one of those four by four Subaru. So it's fantastic that you brought that one up as well. I go with that. You know, it's, it's incredible to think that in the average human, so we're talking about a 70 kg human being, there is two to three kilograms of bacteria in that individual. And, you know, we do not have the capacity uh, within our human genome to produce the proteins that we have existing in our body. So a good chunk of protein produced in our body is actually done by bacteria living inside us. So what do we want? Do we want to have the right bacteria present to produce that right protein makeup that we need? Or do we want to have, a, do we want to have that low sun kind? You know, this is that whole epigenetic coming into the thing. You know, we want to make sure that everything that we've been exposed to, um, we've got the right tools to be able to equip, uh, not to, uh, to equip, to be able to handle what comes to us. But... Um, Mike, I'm going to throw an interesting question to you here. So you, there was a paper that was looking at the mode of delivery. Okay, And so this is this Corpella, and there's been other ones previously. Um, they look at uh, fecal meconium. So fecal meconium is generally accepted as being sterile. And yeah. look, there are some cases where there, there are instances where it is there are bacteria present, but the majority of cases at this point in time suggest sterility, meaning it's a, it's a clean slate. We can start from, we can start from the get-go. Now, this then raises my question of um, how much do we feel that the birth method impacts in comparison to what goes in first? Okay. So if I'm if I'm born if I come out the natural way versus the sunroof, uh, does it matter so much in the mode of delivery as to how much starts to inoculate my system? So there are, there are studies out there looking at um, your feeding choices. Yeah, okay. So if, okay. if you're being fed breast milk and you, you have a happy, healthy mother with a good providing, a good source of bacteria within her, mm. uh, that counteracts your um, birthing method sure you so, can actually wipe out so this is how i like to look at it right and i think and one of the most interesting things that i've come across in my travels uh, or my, my my travels through pubmed is <laughs> that that a lot of the tests that in these papers that they talk about we found bugs in the fetal microbiome um yes yes they have um Pro there's one problem with that is that what they're finding and it's really sort of timeless to talk about this the test that they use is a pcr test to be able to ah. find that bacteria but as we've known now as we know what pcr picks up are fragments and remnants of mm. dna so we don't know if what that is because also we need to remember that that um the the the, the gut packs full of of, of microbes fast the density goes in fast. Being able to get a microbiome, which is very uh, like a lot of variety, that takes years, but it denses up really fast. So what they very might well be finding in that meconium is that fast track of one or two little microbes that are running around or have come off on the baby as that meconium's come out or have been around because they can't prove that it's live. All they're proving mm -hmm. is that there are fragments of Present. that DNA around right. However, I think that in some cases it is going to happen because you're going to get things like um, membrane rupture and then you're going to get uh, maybe early membrane rupture moving up. I think sometimes you will have a couple of microbes that are going to make their way through. And if that is the case in a couple of kids, I like to think about it like this. It's almost like a drawing. So initially, if you get a couple of in utero microbes, it's like a real pencil outline of what's going to happen. As you move through the birth process, then we get a really dark pencil drawing of what's going to happen. Mm. On that, the feeding method colors that picture in. So they all go one to the next to the next. So you're absolutely right in terms of saying that the birth method is going to be impacted by the feeding method. The thing is that we've got these times that are so critical 
So yes, we will fix it. So what you'll end up with is by having by by breastfeeding and having all these wonderful human milk oligosaccharides, and we know that these are prebiotics. So you're basically giving food to in particular bifidobacteria, but you're giving food to these lovely commensal bacteria and you're giving them more resources. So they're growing inside there. And at the end of the day, when they do test and they say at three months or at seven months or however many months, we saw that the bug palette was absolutely the same between the two. That's perfectly fine. But during that critical time of development, when the brain was developing and the microbiome was developing, and we have these, these, the, this neural connection, this uh, uh, endocrine connection, and this immune connection that are moving between each other, that's when the learning is supposed to take place. So yes, you might have everything in the right, when we tick the boxes, we got enough stuff, but has that learning taken place? And if we start to look at the fact that so much autoimmune stuff is starting to come out nowadays, and it's becoming the new big thing, is the immune system actually learning what it needs to learn completely within that first little bit? Or is there a little bit of a misstep? Who knows, but it is an interesting theory. Yeah, I like what you're talking about this one. I like the idea that that, that illustration of using a picture and we're just gradually filling in this picture to get the greater end result. And um, yeah, so that, that's where I feel I'm, I'm very in the same sort of the uh, same sort of mindset with yourself here. Um, and then it brings into beyond just that one little aspect. Uh, we're talking, so we've talked about, okay, so we've got gut microbiome. We have vaginal microbiome. We have placental microbiome. So that all these different areas have their own little bacterial colonies that occur there. And then, so we have the inoculation process that comes on with feeding type, but your feeding type can also then, uh, it depends on the mother's health. Mm -hmm. It's beyond just, you can't just say, oh, okay, but I've, I've breastfed my child. I've got those HMOs coming in. Surely that's going to help stimulate so when we first start off, you know, we've got those speculative aerobes and those are not aerobes, anaerobes, anaerobes. and they start building, yeah, exactly, starts off anaerobic and uh, it just shifts into just being pretty much more just anaerobic, heaps of anaerobic yeah. guys inside there. And, um, but if you've got a parent or a mother who is breastfeeding and they do not have the right gut bacteria, that's not going to do well for the baby's gut development either. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. You need, to, you need one to of the things. Stuff. Mm. Exactly. You need to have the right stuff in the mum. And this can actually be something that we can look at. If you've got a bub who's not exceedingly healthy, you know, they've got a lot of skin indicators, they've got a lot of gut indicators, they're very bloated, gassy, they're not producing happy, healthy poops and all that kind of whatnot. Uh, this could be a reflection of mum's health. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that there are, what do they call those things? Are they little M cells, something like that? There are actual white blood cells involved in going down yeah. into the mother's gut and selectively choosing the right yeah. bacteria to then transport back up to the breast and travel through the breast, through breast yeah. milk into the child to inoculate that child's yeah. gut. It's an incredible process. Yes. And the fact that we've got cells doing that. Here's another really interesting thing because there's a there's 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 a faction because also that and and that and that 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 process um, is a, as far as my reading is it's it's relatively accepted. There's not a lot of actual backup as to how those gut those microbes move from the gut into the breast milk and the actual maneuvers a little up and down. But one of the other things that's talked about in a couple of research papers is that even if the, the breast milk itself is not the well of microbes moving in. Mm. Let's just say that it's not that. What, what they know is happening, and this is kind of an addendum to what's happening, is a lot of skin microbes on the mom's areola mm. are taken Pretty in cool. by the child's mouth. And then a lot of that is almost blown back through the nipple and the breast tissue acts as a reservoir. And they know this because they find a lot of strep and they find a lot of staph in there. And those are basically normally skin microbes. Um, and then those are moved back in and out. And it's fascinating because there's now we have just another way that we are pumping the right stuff back in and then pumping the prebiotic in as well. So you have the, the mode of it actually coming, as they say, potentially from the gut into the breast milk, but you also have the breast acting as a reservoir for other good, for because we know that vertical transmission is not just about mm -hmm. breast milk into the mouth. We know it's about skin to skin contact. We know it's about skin, skin to mouth contact. We you know, it's all of these different contexts that are just increasing and consistently increasing this microbiome. 
That's it. It's all about getting stuff into the mouth. I love this type of thing. You know, they stick their hands in the mouth. They stick the boob in the mouth, all this kind of whatnot. We end up ingesting, oh, what's the actual number? It is, so a million is six zeros, a billion is nine zeros. That would make it a hundred billion bacterial cells are ingested through our saliva every day. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, so that's, it's a huge number. So we have... um, a huge potential to actually help make sure that we've got the right gut bacteria going into our system. We need to get that right uh, bacteroides, permacutes kind of balance going on. What do they call it? The FB ratio. We need to get that right FB ratio going on inside our gut there because you throw that thing out of balance as well. And this is where it becomes really interesting too. You've got, you got to get the right bacteria in. Okay. But then we also need to have the right uh, anaerobes in to start developing the ability to break down those human milk oligosaccharides. Mm. Oh, it's too early in the morning to say that word, oligosaccharides, HMOs. <laughs> um, we need to make sure that we've got the right capacity to break those things down. And then they look at that FB ratio and it actually starts to have an impact on our health in a global sense as well. You know, mm. you swing too far towards that firmicutes side of things and firmicutes, that's like your um, like lactobacillus, for instance. Mm-hmm. Here we think lactobacillus, that's a good guy, right? Mm-hmm. too much of a good thing can start to become a bad thing well like, the, this is the, the way i think of this is is you can't just watch he-man right no one's interested well, you need to have a skeletal because otherwise it doesn't work what's oh, fair point you know? fair point you, you you need to have a little bit and this is where microbiome for me is fascinating because it's not the good stuff and the bad stuff. It's, it's the ratio to be here to allow, because people will think something like E. coli. They go, oh, no, you can't. You're going to have a bit because it's going to be around, You know, E. coli is your major source of vitamin K. If it's yeah, you to the biontin, all of that, it's got to be, it's got to be in there. But people will go, oh, that's what you've got to get rid of because you've got an infus and then they'll talk SIBO and they'll talk this. Yes. However, that's mm. the wrong bugs in the wrong place, in the wrong ratio. Wrong ratios. Instead exactly. of, oh no, you have a this, and we need to get rid of a that. You're like, well, not particularly. It's more about we need everything to balance itself out because that's the whole thing. This whole uh, there's a lovely term called a holobiont. I hope I'm saying it right. The holobiont, which is the super, it is the super organism of the human the microbe and and all of the byproduct of the microbe which is then the mm. microbiome that all together is called the holobiont and that is that massive system that has to balance out all the time there you go i've learned a new word today that's a nice one i'm probably I saying it just... I, I, chances are i'm saying it wrong it's probably a lot fancier than that way i'm saying it <laughs> that's, that's what i have <laughs> hey, look, and, and... On two piece cars, that's how we roll. That's fine. That's how we roll. That's how we roll. In our exactly. low slung, <laughs> our low slung uh, windows tinted well, body boot. That's it. This is our podcast. We can say it how we want. And I, I like that. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. So that's, 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 and then it becomes a case of if we're trying to reestablish ratios, you know, this is why we can't just be saying, oh, you've got gut condition X. Mm. take this probiotic you know this is one of the biggest traps i see when working with kids with like neurobehavioral disorders Mm. so very frequently when we're looking at neurobehavioral stuff one of the first steps that i will do is get that screen to see what's going on inside their gut Mm. okay because i cannot uh you cannot just give just a just a shotgun type of probiotic yeah okay because what if that probiotic is actually worsening ratios that they have inside their system mm-hmm. you know we've got you've got the basic ones okay you've got your lactobacillus like your rhamnosus that that seems to be well researched and and quite tolerable for a lot of gut conditions salivarius that's in that side there as well uh you've got a lot of bifidobacterium infantis that that's a nice one anomalous uh, paracasei uh, is that that might be a lactobacillus anyway we can take the basic ones that can help to that are generally involved in re-establishing a normal but 
yeah, you've got to be so careful with doing the right one at the right time uh, to ensure that you're getting that balance back up again. You know, we don't want to be pushing them too far uh, towards that firmicuity side of things inside that FB ratio. And you go too far the other way, uh, it's going to set off things as well. And, you know, we, we know this is a potential risk. Okay? We know that we can upset the gut microbiome when we actually look at the microbiome of kids with neurobehavioral disorders. Okay. Like let's pick on, let's pick on autism. Okay. Autism is like the, the big one. Uh, when we talk about gut, you know, it's such a, it's such a micro, micro multifactorial condition yeah. that um, I know microfactorial condition. Uh, no multifactorial condition. Yes. Mm. Uh, that if we don't actually address all the components correctly, we could make this one much worse. You know, when they look at microbiome in kids with ASD, we're looking at increased amounts of clostridia. Okay. Uh, we've got decreased bacteroidy levels. Okay? So we don't have things working right inside their gut. But if you just come along and think, okay, look, I can just give this kid a lacto. Yeah. That's going to throw things yeah. right out of, right out of kilter again. And this is, this is the problem. There's, because there are different ways of using these things, uh, is, you know, to my knowledge. I mean, the idea is, and the way a lot of it's used is like an anti-inflammatory bomb. So we do the conventional mm. stuff. We do the stuff that's in the, you know, the, the, the words that you see in the index of the functional medicine textbook, you know, the, the ones that are right mm. there. Those are the ones that you use and use and just use those. Fine. But then when you start looking at things like, certain like some of the research i was reading today some of the depressive symptoms are really linked to a certain strain and having a levels of these certain strains and as you're saying you've got to if you want to start playing in that side of the game you really have to know what you're doing because as you say oh. you you very well might be changing something that you probably have no business changing. So you have to be super, super careful because these guys, and we know that you've got things like gut uh, changes in ASD kids. We know that they have oh, yeah. way more gut stuff than, 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 than your neuronormal chaps. Uh, we mm -hmm. know that they, they, they come along with all sorts of gut stuff. We know that there's autonomic nervous system stuff as well that carries on with these guys. And we know that between the autonomics and the gut and the ASD, there's so much on the go there that just throwing a lactobacillus at them, as you say, now you set off this FB rating because you've got these huge, these huge amounts of firmicutes that you're sending in. Now, what are you doing? So I think, you know, you really want to be working with, and I'm super lucky because of my office, we've got one or two chaps that are just, this is what they do, you know, which oh, is so, go. so nice that you can do yeah. that, sit and learn from all the time. But again, you, you, you sit in front of these guys and you work with them and you start to realize this is complex. It really it is really complex. It is incredibly complex. And this is why I, so I, I utilize a team when it comes to uh, kids with, kids with ASD, kids with neurodivergent type of presentations. It's, uh, I get a person to look at their gut, give me the reports for gut, and he's, he's, he's brilliant. He provides yeah. uh, management advice. He'll sit there. Um, if, you, if you have questions about the report he writes, he'll say, all right, let's allocate an hour and yeah. let's just talk through what you need to discuss with yeah. that patient. Um, up the street from me is a brilliant uh, clinical dietitian and nutritionist. Uh, so he's, he's involved in that aspect of things. We've got the gut involved with other things. We've got the OT involved with certain things. We've got me involved with some certain things. Yeah. And it comes all together really, really nicely. Uh, but, but Mike, I'm going to go back a step. You actually brought up a really interesting uh, point there. You were talking about the gut and also uh, the afferents, efferents involved yeah. inside the gut. And I figured, you know what? This is episode 10. Let's bring another 10 into this, <laughs> into this conversation and talk about one fantastic cranial nerve the old yeah. vagus nerve yeah how do you think how do you think the vagus nerve might fit into this whole picture here then as well you know it's so interesting because there's a lot of we tend as a species we tend not to like mice apparently we do a lot of horrible horrible <laughs> research on mice and one of them that i was reading up they looked at germ-free mice so they looked at taking a mouse that had absolutely no bacteria and as one would expect, or maybe as you wouldn't expect, or maybe this is going to come as a shock, but socially they have no skill. 
and they're really they're really messed up immunity is messed up social skills are messed up a lot of these things are messed up um and then the interesting thing is that then when they start to when they start to work with these with these uh, with these mice and they start to fill them up with the right bacteria all of that starts to function properly apart mm. from the mice that they gave vagotomies to. So apart from the, the mice that didn't have a vagus nerve intact. And what that tells us is that there's a system on the go here. And the most important thing to get about this whole thing is that there's this bi-directional communication between your brain and your gut. So the brain via the, via the vagus nerve has the ability to change the landscape of your microbiome completely. And it does that by changing things like permeability of your gut wall. It does that by sending out certain signals, certain, certain molecules, which will create a different uh, outcome. It does it by things like changing your gut peristalsis so that you have this different landscape so that a certain kind of bug can live there or a certain kind of bug can't. What that tells us is that if you are under stress and that's starting to affect you, and we know that stress really affects the, so affects the, the, the vagus nerve's ability to function, you start mm -hmm. having this lack of communication into the gut and all of a sudden the microbiome starts to get a little funky yeah. as well. Depending on the bugs that go in, and if you have mm -hmm. things like we were talking about just now, we were, we were laughing about the fact that you get the you get the mobsters, and we said gram negative, and we kind of threw that away because these are the these are the ones that make a lot of gas, and they also make something called LPS, these lipopolysaccharides that come right. off the top of them. Yeah. And they cause all sorts of havoc. They cause all sorts of inflammation. They send all sorts of wrong wrong information out. And your vagus nerve, which is sitting there embedded into the wall of the gut, then chemo senses all of this nonsense coming through. And 80% of that nerve that runs up into the brain is all about afferentation. It's all about telling your brain. It's it, the vagus is telltale. Mm. It's the tattletale of the gut, right? It tells your brain every single thing that's happening in that gut. And then that literally changes your brain chemistry to the point that it can change your mood, can give you depressive symptoms, and it is linked to a whole lot of this neurodivergent stuff. So as much as, and this is the beauty of the situation, as much as we've started off talking about how do we affect the gut, how do we affect it by maybe putting in this strain, putting in that strain, there's a whole other doorway. There's a whole other pathway to getting into this gut. And that's about what happens in the brain. So there's a cognition side. And then there's this physicality side of getting parasympathetic tone to go up so that we get as much information working on the vagus nerve because as much as this lipopolysaccharide, and I can't believe I'm bringing this around, as much as the lipopolysaccharides cause all this inflammation, when the vagus is pumping, it has an anti-inflammatory effect. So it literally works by dampening that down. And that dampens down things like your consistent pain input into your brain, which is a big thing for me with the colicky babies because we know that this is a thing. And here's yeah. something that I don't know if you've heard about this. This, this did my head in. Okay. Well, yeah, so yep, that's good. When you have this, the, the endotoxin, right? Which is that lipopolysaccharide yep. that comes yep. off the gram-negative bacteria. Yep. In formula, what they do is they heat treat formula. And they heat treat it specifically to get rid of the gram-negative bacteria, to get rid of the proteobacteria, these coliforms, to get rid of them. The issue is that the lipopolysaccharide is super heat stable. And exactly. it's rid of it. So the thing that causes the inflammation is not gone. And here is the craziest part. There is no legal limit to the amount of lipopolysaccharide that is allowed to be in formula. There's a legal limit to the amount of proteobacteria that you have to be able to get out through your, through your heat pasteurization. There's nothing about the amount of lipopolysaccharide. And surprise, surprise, formula babies have higher levels of inflammation and higher levels of calc protectin. It's mental. And yeah, it is. I, I, I did know about that one. And it's, it's really a very, I, I wonder if it's a case of there's just not enough understanding and appreciation of the LPS. Mm. You know, I look at this one, it, it can travel throughout our entire system. So when we're looking at um, a lot of post-viral rashes or post-infection post rashes, things like that, that's often triggered by an LPS system. Mm. Uh, when we're looking at a lot of people who have um, fever fluctuations, temperature fluctuations, mm -hmm. uh, like that is 
uh, hypothalamic region being affected by LPS, or we can't regulate it properly. So it's coming through and it's creating this hypersensitization of those thermoreceptors yeah. inside our brain. So it has a devastating effect on a lot of, on a lot of bodily systems. And that, as you say, I actually, yeah, it's, it's really very funky. So we're looking at bacteria. Um, we're talking about stress. But you know what? You can stress the system out. We're talking about emotional stress is one thing, but you can create a dietary stress. Yep. Okay. And so that's that's exactly what Mike is saying. What you're saying there is with um with by taking a a a, a formula, if it is the incorrect formula type, or you have the incorrect uh, gut bacteria present to be able to handle that type of formula, yep. that's where our stress systems go off the charts. Okay. A lot of times, I think the um, the layman term for a lot of this stress presentation that we see is that sympathetic dominance. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so that's exactly exactly hyper responsive. Everything's thing. yeah. Exactly. I call you them hyper vigilant. Yeah. Yeah. I missed your word there. You ha you have to be hyper vigilant. You have to be in that situation because your body is responding to something that's coming in that it's going. Hang on a second. This input is not great. So we just have to be on the lookout for everything because everything. also the buffer that your body has now has become so much smaller because you're under this oh, type of yeah. know exactly. that it's going to be thoughts and traumas and toxins. And this is this is on the toxin side. Uh, yeah, that's it. My the way I describe this. Uh, sympathetic dominance to parents as i say your child is waiting for the t-rex that's around the corner mm. okay they are just in a constant state of i've got to be prepared for every situation that could occur okay yeah. and this is not exclusive to babies oh my gosh this is not exclusive to babies at all you can see these hypersympathetic states in every single individual now, i mean yeah. we're seeing it a lot more these days mm -hmm. uh, you look at Look at the work that we do. Look at the hours that we work. Look at the amount yep. of sleep that we don't have. Uh, look at the amount of caffeine. Speaking of which, my coffee ran out. That's a very sad state of affairs. Um, look at the environment around us. All of these things are really promoting sympathetic dominance. Yep. Okay. But you've talked about how the vagus nerve is involved in helping to regulate that system. And you know what? As a chiropractor, as a manual practitioner, we are in a wonderful situation because that vagus nerve, we can stimulate it. Mm -hmm. okay. Gives us a this wonderful is... input into the system. Absolutely brilliant. <clears throat> exactly. We can, we can do so much stuff to help stimulate that vagus nerve. But again, you know, it's like, it's like that seesaw. You know, if you jump onto that seesaw and shoot it up with the other side, uh, that, that's often not fun for the person who's on the other side and who gets catapulted off. Uh, again, it's about managing that balance and working into that system. If you work that Vegas too heavy, too fast, you could blow it out as well. You know, it's every nerve, every nerve in our system. It requires it just it requires stimulation yeah. and oxygen and nutrition. Okay, that's that's it. That's all that nerves need to survive. And when they don't get that proper stimulation, when they're not getting the right oxygen, when they're not getting the right amount of glucose, they bring their action potentials close to the threshold. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if I've got an action potential that's really, really close to that threshold point, and I give it a massive stimulation, you're going to blow it out. Okay, you're going to overactivate that nerve. When you overactivate a nerve, especially in a system that's a little bit um, fragile, uh, if they don't have the right CoQ10 going through their system, for instance, you know they don't have the right energy production capacities, yep. um, it will then poof, crash back down, and it will take time to build back up again. So again, you have to work slowly, slowly, but we have mechanisms to work on the vagus nerve. You know, mm -hmm. we can do, you can do trigeminal nerve stimulation. So you can do stuff on the side of the cheek there. Cranial nerve five is able to go through and then tonify vagus nerve and help to get it activating as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, we can, do, we can do direct on vagus nerve stimulation. You know, the tragus of our ear. I love this. Do you know about this one, Mike? Yeah, the, yeah. The uh, yeah, yeah. So good. It's so good. I love that thing. Yeah. You know, you I can work on that. A couple of... I work on carotid artery massage as well. Just oh, about yeah, yeah. I, lo I love that one. This is another thing I really love about that because this is a little backwards for me, is that, and, and, and I, 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 I almost am really mad with myself that it took this long to figure this out. But for, for ages and ages, they've talked about if you as an adult would like to get your vagus nerve going, hum, sing, 
plant, whatever. And then you think, hang on a second, all of this crying that's going on, is that not possibly a way that this baby is now trying to bring that vagal tone back up again? Because they're using those exact same bits and pieces. They're using the exact same things, the, the, the humming, the singing, all of that. It's almost like the body is trying to find a balance somewhere. The same way as if they find something to be able to suck, they'll suck it and suck it and suck it to get mm -hmm. the trigeminal thing going so that they can start mm -hmm. to get that going. It took me ages and ages. And then I, I, I finally came across someone that talked about it and said, not that they're trying to, but the act of using all of this vaguely innovated bits and pieces has this effect of starting to mm. stimulate that system. And I was just like, wow, that's quite something because I'd never looked at it as, as them trying to self-soothe. I've seen everything else as it, but because crying is such a, it's got such a stigma and we mm. see it as such a bad thing. You go, yeah, that's well, it. how could there be Stop a crying. positive side to it at all? I don't know where that sits, but really interesting. And when that got to me, I was like, mm, I, I, it's an interesting way of looking yeah. at it. I, I do like that. I'm not, I'm the same. I'm, I, I'm today years old when I considered that one as well. You know, so that, that when I learned that one as well, that's, that's a very interesting, uh, yeah, because you, you often think of crying as being a response to a stress mm. as opposed to a method of tonifying. Yeah. You know, but uh, uh, it's the same as, those things are the same thing. Yes, they are. It's a response to stress. It's a method of tonifying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's balancing it from different aspects. Hmm. Never. So thought that's that's a very. Yeah, I like that. It would, and it would also explain, you know, why we see. So you know what they when they look at pain pathways in children, and we know they've got pain pathways activated through fMRI, fMRI studies. Yeah. So we know they've got active pathways. But, you know, I find so frequently straight after a treatment, there is such a drop down in colicky behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, let me rephrase that. With manual therapy, uh, I do see improvements in colicky behavior. Mm -hmm. now, I don't know. Is there a polite way of putting this one while still ticking the boxes for saying, uh, exactly. without yeah, saying yeah. chiropractic is awesome? Um, it's, it's, I, see, um, I see less craziness. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Where... The manual therapy, manual inputs like that one, they will have a tonifying effect on the vagus. They will help to bring it and work it properly. Um, have we then, have we reduced pain or have we tonified the vagus? We've given them another, we've given them another way of doing it. Yeah. We, 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 we've brought that up for them. That's what they were attempting to do. But in that attempt, it has all of this negative sequelae. And now we're finding another way to be able to tonify it and bring it up for them mm. so that they can baseline out. And at the end of the day, they're trying to do the same thing. It's yeah. all about, because as we know, in the beginning couple of months of life, it's important to, and this is another thing that I kind of is in my brain. It's almost like the baby is like a Porsche driving down the road with a brick on the accelerator and you have to force the brake. <laughs> from time to time. And that parasympathetic is the break that's forcing. But the moment you leave mm. the system, it goes into craziness because craziness keeps you alive. Being <laughs> calm and chill doesn't keep you alive. And for those first couple of months, you really need to stay alive because you, you know, you, 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 you it's not the easiest thing to do. So it's almost like it, the default will be to go into sympathetic dominance. And then if we have our environment mm. where we have the toxins going in, where we have a vagal entrapment pot potentially, and also we can't, we can't avoid the fact that we have all these babies that live in containers all the time that are in all these squashed mm. up positions. Uh, these kids, are, I mean, and the vagus can get trapped just about anywhere. I mean, it's this jugular form and it can get trapped up in the carotid sheath. It can get trapped in the clavicle, up into the diet, like everywhere it can get. It can everywhere. Get mm. um, and we know that all of those are on the way down to the stomach and any of those are a problem. So the idea is really to, 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 to try and pump the brake as much as you can. And it's just to be able to almost, and pumping the brake is kind of a safe way of going, you can calm down now. You don't have to mm. drive it like a million miles an hour. I've got you. But the moment they feel like you don't have them, they take off. 
Mm. And I think that's always kind of been in my brain. It's always a way of going, I'll buffer you. I've got you. Don't worry about it. And when they feel that way, they've got high vagal tone. But the moment they don't have that, they're like, I'm going to go. I'm going to survive. I'm going to survive. And it's like, well, just slow, slow down and come back. <laughs> <laughs> that's let's, 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 let's at least put you down in first gear. So if you're, <laughs> you've got that foot on the accelerator, you're still just not going that fast. Yeah, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. A little stick in the little <laughs> pack on the back. I'm leaving. I'm taking my <laughs> Minecraft sword and my Legos and I'm out. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, things have to run. Yeah, so that, that's where it comes into being a really interesting state of play. You know, we've got all these interactions. We're seeing... We're seeing God, we're seeing diet, we're seeing parasympathetic tone, we're seeing Vegas impact. Uh, we're seeing how we can actually have an impact on that one as well. And, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swing this one through because I, I really like that we, we touched on the autism side of things. Mm. Now, we're going to talk about, so we've talked about unsettled infants. Okay. Now, we've got the unsettled infant. We've been able to do something about this one. Mm. What about the kids who have had, the wrong bacterial inoculation going on. They've got the, the formula going in. You know, yeah. we've got all these ongoing stresses. Um, could this be a major component that we're looking at that sees that develop, eventual development of these neurodivergent uh, type of behaviors, neurobehavioral disorders like your autism, like your de depression? Yeah. yeah. Uh, is this, are these the starting yeah. points? So... I think the best way of, of approaching that is to go that your genetics will load the gun. It's your yeah. environment that's going to pull that trigger. So in terms of could it do that, it could push towards that. And if you have the makeup that's going to allow that, neuro, the, that neurodiversity to start to kick in, yes, it's going to push you in that direction. Will it happen with it? Who knows? But it, it depends on so many bits and pieces, but I think exactly. it's a definitive amount that you are pushing in the wrong direction, having that kind of thing go on. Yeah, and it's that push in the wrong direction. That's where we see all those risk factors tied in with autism. Mm -hmm. you know, your, your maternal age, your diet, your birth delivery, your, motor, your, your, your feeding sources. Yeah. Uh, that's all those multiple yeah. environmental factors yeah. That, yeah. that push those genetics. It's kind of like the way SIDS works on that, on, that, on, that, on that triad where you've got to have an internal vulnerability, you've got to have a critical window of development, and then you've got to have an exogenous stressor. And it's when those three come together that problems are going to happen. And mm. I think that's got so, that, that is such a golden thread that runs through so many things that we do. And we're always after the, that lone sniper on the hill you know mm. and, and it's generally yeah but you know it's generally not just a lone sniper on the hill there's generally quite a few things but it takes time and it takes investment into the stuff to be able to have a, a rounded picture to be able to know what to look for when to look for and then it's quite an investment in patients to be able to go right this uh, these are the lanes we're going to go down mm. yeah I, I like did you actually see that you've talked about SIDS? There was a new paper that came out uh, talking yep. about a, the potential biomarker for SIDS. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, that, that's, but, that's a bit of an interesting. So I've, ju I've, I've just done a breakdown on that, actually. And it's quite, it's quite interesting because it is, it is a, almost a, a, a masterclass in the media picking up on something interesting and running with it. And the author trying to catch up going, no, no, wait. Wait, <laughs> wait, what I mean because the media got hold of it and started running and going, we found the cause of SIDS. Mm. And you get this poor woman, Harrington, going after them, going, hang on, hang on. What we found is a very possible biomarker for SIDS. Mm. And we've only found it in peripheral blood. We haven't actually found it in the central nervous system. And we are mm. hypothesizing that um, having this, this, uh, this pseudocholinesterase in small amounts and not working properly means that the acetylcholine is not going to be there. We are hypothesizing a lot of stuff here, but they took it and ran with it. And I, I really, I feel a little bad for them as well, because she, that main author, she's had uh, uh, a SIDS event in her life mm -hmm. and it's been a huge thing for her and I think coming out of this and she's been very down the line as to what they found and what, what the story is and I think the media just jumped on it and went 
bananas with it. So well, it's yeah, that video is going to come out soon, so we'll, we'll we'll link to it. But it's, oh, uh, it's really really interesting, a really interesting piece of work. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, it's another one of those multifactorial conditions. You yeah. Know? So we've got, dude. I don't want to. I want to brag. I just got a oh, hot coffee get, delivered. Yeah, get out. <laughs> okay. Oh, I, that, wait, wait. Oh. oh, it's good. It's good too. The question is, does it have oat milk and honey? It does. It does. Oh no! <laughs> there you go. It's like almost eleven o'clock. Either way, it's fine. That, that ran out ages ago. That, that, that's really sad. I can, yeah. I can hear this wife. This. Yeah, I, yeah, she's 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 now off. Uh, <laughs> I think booking a trip at the moment. That's why I've been given coffee just to butter me up. I think at the moment. <laughs> One thing I wanted to talk about before we jump out of this, because I'm keen to get your your thoughts on this as well, and this is to go to the one side we haven't done much on, which is the probiotics side Ooh, of things. Because yeah. I've had I've had a good little read around, and one of the things that's starting to come up in a lot of the papers and reading is the fact that we think that a lot of the time, and this kind of goes back to how we'd be using strains and what we're doing with them, that we're putting in a certain strain to fill the gut with that certain strain. However, with mm. a lot of the research, what they're talking about is the fact that the effects that you see from, let's say you're using something like a lactobacillus bifidobacteria, you're using it on a baby because, you know, that, that the idea is that Reuteri has got really good results and, and you're using it. If you were using it and you take a, a look at the bug palette and then you use it and then you take another look at the bug palette and go, oh, it didn't really change the amount of lactobacillus and bifidobacteria there. And then you go, it didn't work. You're kind of missing the boat because a lot of what they're saying now is that that gut is populated. What's in there is in there. And it's the breast milk and HMOs and whatever that's going to, you're either going to give them food or you're not, whatever. A lot of the reason that we give the probiotics is we know that the effects of these things are anti-inflammatory. We know that the effects of these things are really good. So what we're doing is passing that through the system and that's having a great effect. And right. a lot of the time we're kind of going, but we're giving probiotics so that we can put the good bugs back in and you kind of go, well, the mobsters are already there. And I think throwing a family of four at a mobster it's not going to do much, you, you know, it, it will change no. the environment, but they're not going to kick the mobsters. Yeah. yeah, the mobsters are established. Yeah. Okay. So gut, exactly, exactly. Gut, gut inoculation, once it's established, it's very, very difficult to shift. I was actually, I attended a seminar down here with um, Dr. Henry Butt, and uh, I love this. His surname is Butt. He works with fecal microbiology. It's, it's just like a match made in heaven. It was meant to be. Yeah. And um, he has, I think it's nearly 200 published papers on fecal microbiome. He is quite simply. So if you ever, if you're in Sydney or in sorry, Sydney, if you're in Australia, yeah. why do I say Sydney? Because that's, that's not Australia at all. Uh, he, he works in <laughs> downstream. It's just a part of it. Wow. See, I'm, my brain is so jealous about your coffee that it's just gone and it's gone on strike. It's, it's like, right, I'll just I'm keep drinking it. It is quite good. <laughs> And it's even in a, in, a, in, a, in a Malta cup. Look at that. Oh, well. That, that's... that's pictures of me. That actually, hang on a second. That's me jumping into the sea. Spotlight. I'm upside that down. Is a fantastic, that is a fantastic capture. It is just at the point of impact there, isn't it? <laughs> I really feel bad for the people listening only on podcasts. <laughs> Uh, no, look, trust me, if you're watching on a pod, listening on a podcast, it was just a picture of a half naked Mike Valley, like back flopping. So really, you saved yourself a lot. Didn't really miss much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, where was I going with this? Henry Butt. Yes. Henry yes. Butt. He, he runs Biosprint Medical down here in Melbourne. And it is, he, he's, he's phenomenally intelligent. Uh, you know what? I, I talk to some intelligent people, like you're one of them, Mike. You are incredibly intelligent. Um, people I work with, incredibly intelligent. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm I'm leveling up by just being around people who are smart. It's wonderful. And so he was talking about this exact thing as well. He's saying, look, you take an antibiotic and it's wiped out the bad guys within a day. Okay. Mm. You you take inside the gut, I should say. Mm. You take a probiotic, uh, you forget to take that a day, its effects are gone. Yeah. Okay? yeah, yeah. 
because of what is already established. Yeah. And that's the intake of a probiotic. And this is something that I also talk about with parents as well. If I'm telling a mom to give their child a probiotic, you can't just say, okay, once a day, take this probiotic, they're going to be fine. You know, that's not how probiotics are ingested. So if we think about our food sources, how frequently do we feed with breastfeeding? As an infant, we're feeding multiple times in the day, which will be three to four hours apart. And each one of those feeds contains uh, bacteria. You look um, prior to the age of um, refrigeration. Refrigeration has a lot to answer for. We've lost a lot of microbial Mm -hmm. diversity since Mm -hmm. the onset of refrigeration. Uh, Prior to that, we used to um, ferment foods. We'd have foods that would sit there for a long time. My wife is from Taiwan. Her method of cooking is incredible. So she'll cook like this huge pot of bone broth type soups. And I love them. If you ever want to bump up your bacteroides, bone broth soups are the best ways to do it. Uh, Full of collagen. So that's going to help the gut lining as well. And um, so she sits there. She'll make this soup on day one. At the end of day one, she'll boil the soup and let it sit on the stove overnight. Mm. Okay. It does not get refrigerated for about a week. And you know what happens? Every morning she'll wake up, she'll boil it, and then we eat it. Okay. Yeah. So we've boiled out. So we've killed the live bacteria, but a lot of the LPS is left behind. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a huge concentration of it going on there because it's only had a certain amount of time to be able to ferment. Yeah. Um, and what happens is this broth helps to reestablish. So each time you have a little bit, and so she's wonderful, she'll have a little bit a little bit for breakfast, a little bit in the afternoon, a little bit at dinner time. And it becomes almost like a snack. And so we have multiple inputs of this good bacterial source. Not of one bash. It's a whole bunch of little ones. Exactly. And I think this is something that's really important with a lot of the uh, supplements that we do take. You know, you can't just take them in one big bash. People kind of go, oh, well, I've, I've taken my multivitamin for the day. I've started the P fluorescent yellow at around 11 o'clock. Yeah. Guess what? When you're seeing that fluorescent P coming out, you're pretty much metabolized the whole thing. It's gone. All right. Exactly. And so if you needed some more B6 later in the day, yep. it's gone. done. So we're looking, I, I've lost where I was going with this one. So I had probiotics. Uh, so uh-huh. we need to be looking at taking small doses regularly. Okay. Mm-hmm. I look at like on like a probiotic. If you're giving a powdered probiotic to a baby, it often says give X teaspoons in a day. Right, so what whoa, a catastrophe. Whoa, so whoa, our whoa. first masterclass was brilliant. Hang on. One uh, hang on. Hang on. What the hell? Oh, dude. I apologize. I don't know what oh, we've done there. Well, your masterclass was just starting off. It was... Um, um, what? <laughs> that's what happens when you multitask, Mike. <laughs> No, dude, I wasn't even... Mo- <laughs> I don't know you where know that came happened? from. <laughs> I reckon it might have been rendering in the background. Yeah. Oh, and it's exactly it what's may happened. have just finished it's, doing it's that. It's actually thing. just arrived. It's It's been rendering for the last hour and a half. <laughs> there you go. Oh, gave me Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Uh, where was I? So, yes, we want to be giving... So, a probiotic dose, it might say X teaspoons in a day. So I tell the parent, look, I want you to give a little bit at each feed so it totals X amount in a day. Ah, uh-huh. okay. Okay. But, 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 okay. Correct. And I'd be saying like, if you're like, especially if you're a formula feeding mom, if you're giving baby formula, I'd be saying, look, add in a little bit to each formula feed. Okay. Okay. Because it's a lot of the, so formulas now, they're, they're trying to put probiotics into it. They're trying yeah. to do the right thing here. But you yeah. know what? It's, it's never quite the, the right ones, or as you said, they've heat treated it, so it's lost a lot of its effectiveness. Yeah. And so if you add that little bit in, that's going to be of benefit, especially yeah. if it's just that little dosage all throughout the day. Now, by doing that, the effect of the probiotic becomes more long-lasting. Mm-hmm. Okay? We're not going to be able to kick out the mobsters in day one. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I believe there's... The train of thought with that one is you have to do a complete eradication and replacement, okay? And that is a difficult process, mm-hmm. you know, to do the complete eradication of the gut. Uh, there are people who say that it just cannot be done. Uh, and then there are those who say it, you can do it, but you've got to be quick yeah. with the re-inoculation process. And, I've, and seen that's, it, that's, I've seen it done in some of the papers with antibiotics. 
They yes, use the antibiotics to vomit and then Correct. they kill you straight up. And it really and has to do with what are those root bacteria that are sitting inside there because yeah. you have some funky stuff. That's right. It's typically you're either looking at your streps or your clostridias. Hmm. Okay. Clostridia is a spore forming bacteria. So it's a pain in the backside because you wipe it out, but the spores just go, oh, great. Boop, and, and they're back, back to life again. Yeah. yeah. And so they do the eradication therapy and that can take a couple of weeks to get it working properly. And then you've got that, that window to re-inoculate. Yeah. Okay? And that's, that's where that fecal microbial transplant um, stuff or fecal microbial therapy. That's where that one's coming through, where you take a healthy donor gut fecal mm. microbial sample, if you will, and essentially ingest that yeah. to re-inoculate your own system. Okay. Now this, I have seen patients who have had this done. So kids with autism mm. and it has had incredible effects. Wow. I'm talking about um, non-communicative, non-communicative, uh, very poor social interaction. We understand, look, DSM-5 has changed some of the um, criteria regarding mm. autism, but when we're looking, so we're looking at what a stage, not stage three, level three, grade three, whatever it is, the, mm. the really we need a lot of assistance to help with this. And I've seen him go from that stage down to a kid who will come up to me and say, hi, Christian, uh, how are you? Wow. And you go, what just, sorry, hang on. You go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, will, I will make a video of that one because I think that needs to be. You're going to have to. People are not exactly. going to know what's happened. Exactly. It's like a mug. Yeah, yeah, yes. Anyway, so the Pikachu went off there. Yeah, so it's we, we do want to be looking at uh, ensuring that we're getting that regularity of the right uh, probiotic. I like that. Okay. Uh, because, yes, it does have a limited time span that it can be effective inside your gut. Yeah, mm. and you can't just bomb it all at once because you're not trying to fill it up. You're trying to have this effect and you're going to pass it right through the system. Very, very good point. Very well made. And that's something I'm going to take to heart because it's not something I've been doing. I've actually been doing do the five drops at once. So I haven't actually, I'll own up to that, that I need to actually change the way we do that. Yeah, lovely. Very Fantastic. Good. Well, look, I think there has been, again, wow. Yeah. I, I, I love these podcasts, man. I, I, I've got to yeah. say, the stuff that I've learned from doing them with you, it's yeah. been incredible. It's been incredible. I think we really do. We, it's, it's such a, you know, this is why part of the UK um, the with our CPD points, um, some of the hours are studying by yourself, which is fine. And some of them are studying with others. And I think before I did something like this, it you always thought to yourself like, yeah, what is studying with someone else? It's just a little bit of a chat you're there, but this is actually it. It's this being forced into this position. We kind of say to each other, look, this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to swat up. We're going to get a little bit. And then when you get into the situation, you leave with so, so much. So, you know, you finally start to understand why they say, do some of your hours with other people because there's so many other ideas, so many facets, so many ways that you can actually look at the, exactly the same thing and go, I hadn't thought about it like that, which is exactly what I've just had now with the probiotics. And I've had about three of them just in this last hour. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's a testament to learning with your mates because, because, you know, we've all got different experiences. That's it. And, you know, for those playing at home, uh, we will be providing as, as with every other episode, all the references that we touch on. And in fact, I had a bunch of other references prepped for today. We'll just list them all as a part of the podcast. What's, what's the word there that I'm looking for? Podcast description. description so yeah. We're all in there. If you can't get a copy, email us. You know, we've yeah. got the copies. So we're happy to share those ones with you so you can help learn and come along with us on this adventure. It's going to be great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, thank you very much for hanging out with us. Um, it's, it's always good to have... Uh, I can just imagine the two of us talking in, in in coming out of a radio in a car somewhere in like I'd like to find out where the most exotic places that our voices have touched I think that would be I think that would be lovely if you're a listener that yeah. listens in an exotic place um come and uh, tell us where that is because I'd love to know where the sultry tones of Dr. Christian Flutter's voice have been uh, for what 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 airwaves have they been flooding it'd be, be really interesting to find out <laughs> that would be great 
<laughs> and if it's Las Vegas, I'm sorry that we picked on Las Vegas as the uh, the mob. Yeah, central we weren't very clever talking about Las Vegas <laughs> mobsters and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, we've we've caused ourselves a little bit of. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so from Saudi Arabia, I'm in a second night. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys thank you very much this has been episode 10 of two peat kairos again you can get hold of us two peat kairos at gmail.com uh if you found that there's value out of this please share it with your mates um because you know the, the chiropractic pediatric community is small but it's a really robust community people and it's a, such a such a great community and the more we do work in this uh with the more we starting to find each other all over the place so if you have mates you know in the states and in australia and south africa and the uk all over the place just share and share alike because you know it's we're, we 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 really are just keen on community i think and uh you know the more we get into it the better so that's from me thank you very much for listening and christian i will let you uh, just, just sign us off write us home ride you home well thank you very much everyone for listening to a wonderful episode i've had a wonderful time mike it's always been a pleasure and for everyone else we will see you no you will hear from us next time thank you <laughs> <laughs>